Hello, I'm Nora Stern. And I'm Elise Lambert, and welcome to our podcast. Henry Lee Lucas, the confession killer, went above and beyond during his killing spree. He proved that if you put your mind to something, anything can be accomplished. Of course, this isn't a good mindset to have while being a murderer, but things aren't always as they seem. Our story begins with Henry's life, beginning on August 23, 1936, in Blacksburg, Virginia. Born into a family of eight other children, Henry was the youngest. His parents were alcoholics, and Henry's mother, Viola, was a prostitute who abused not only her husband, but also her children. Also, his mother not only abused her family, but made Henry kill his pets. Which could be the reason Henry had such an interest in dead animals, which we will later get into. While Viola was prostituting, she would make Henry watch her and her clients, then progress to make Henry prostitute himself at the age of five. So basically, his mother was an undiagnosed psycho. When he was a child, his mother hit him across the head, and he was unconscious for 36-plus hours, causing severe trauma to his frontal lobe, which corresponds with compassion and empathy, as well as the temporal lobe, meaning that he had no control over impulse. To add on to his messed up childhood, Henry's older sister raped him before the age of 10, which caused a continuous cycle of Henry having sex with his siblings, as well as dead animals, most likely caused by his abusive mother killing his pets as a child. His father soon died a few months later in a train accident where his legs were run over and he froze to death. Henry's love for murder began when he was about 14 to 15 years old, when he stabbed his mother in the neck, causing a heart attack. And during his testimony, there was an unreliable confession in a letter, so he was sentenced to 34 years in jail, but only served 10. He was then released in 1970 due to jail overcrowding, but he was also sent to PNN, a psych ward. In Texas, Montague County, Henry was brought in as a suspect of murder of Kate Rich because he was living with her for a while. He mentions to Phil Ryan, a ranger, about a warrant for him in Michigan for originally stealing a car, but then for violating probation. He was put in jail and went to court for Kate Rich in 1983. While he was in court, his trial was coming to an end. He said to the whole room, what about the other 100 women I've killed? Here's a clip of Lucas comparing himself to Hitler. And I think I even beat, uh, what's his name, Adolf Hitler? Seemed like I was going to beat him. From there, he started to confess to any and every unsolved murder crime there was. He would draw pictures and write around the pictures of how he would kill them, as well as little details about the victim. Sheriff Jim Boutwell, known as the legend in law enforcement, got involved and became Henry's best friend. Boutwell brought in Sergeant Prince, and they began to close all cases cases all over the country. Calls and meetings took place. Lucas had never gotten this much attention as a child. It took to notice that these murders weren't random, and there was no consistency. His victims ranged from age, characteristics, looks, and genders. Lucas was a drifter with no conscience with a consumption to kill. He'd cruise 35 interstate and backroads to find vulnerable women. Henry would simply ask for a cup of water to get into a potential victim's house and or kill the victims, would just climb into his car. They unconsciously trusted him, yet they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. He said that he would kill, and he said that when he would kill, he would get a cold feeling and it was like an ice box. 
As he described, there was no feeling. His victims felt as if they weren't real humans, human beings. The typical characteristics of serial killers involve not being married with no children, controlling parent or parent figure, the child having frequent emergency room visits, psychological issues, or suicidal tendencies, and a tendency of animal cruelty. As described earlier, Henry had those tendencies and fit the characteristics perfectly. To carry on, Lucas introduced a companion that was said to be involved with some of these crimes, Otis Toole. He was described to be a vicious person with a low IQ. He would dress up as a woman and pick up people in bars to have sex for money. He was six foot three, muscular, and talked softly. Both Toole and Lucas considered killing as a good bonding experience, which furthermore led them to continue their killing spree. Toole would go, Toole would go along with whatever Lucas would say. The jailhouse minister, Clemmie Schroeder, was a friend who cut his hair without knowing his potential danger. She had introduced him to the Bible and faith. She didn't realize how dangerous he actually was. Henry repeated to say that God told him to confess to all those crimes. God was able to provide Lucas with the information of the killings and give every detail of how a victim was killed. For example, at a crime scene, Lucas was able to recall the year and month of a Playboy magazine. He would be shown a photo of a victim of a murder and he would say, that he did or didn't do the crime. If he did, he would describe in great detail of how and where he did it. And to add on to that, he had gotten a lot of special treatment while in jail. Whenever a case would be closed, Batwell would owe Henry a shake. The officers would also bring him a pack of cigarettes at every meeting, and when Henry was touring the country and the murder scenes he was given a TV for his cell as his request. The law enforcement treated him as a friend, not a killer, and even let him have free reign around the Georgetown jail without cuffs. From recordings of Lucas's confessions, it took notice that the officials would provide photos of the crime scene, and he was able to fill in the blanks and create a story. Here's a video of an interview we found where Lucas discusses his treatment in jail. I had a colored television I didn't have before. I had cable TV and I didn't have that before. I had all kinds of food, even stacks of cigarettes in cartons in my house. That's coming from nothing. The relationship between Lucas and his task force supervisors was becoming increasingly intimate. And that was easy for Lucas to do because he was diagnosed with confibulation, which is gaps in the memory. He was able to fill those gaps with other or new information, and whoever he was with, he would change his story to please his audience. In Lubbock, Texas, a family of a victim, Debbie, who was killed in August 1975, who had their doubts with Henry's confession and tried to take their proof to the officials, but they wouldn't listen. They started their own investigation and found evidence that he was not in Texas at the time of the murder, but he was in Maryland. After that evidence, Jim Henderson and a journalist, Hugh Ainsworth, found a long paper trail. Law enforcement had Lucas driving to Washington on October 2nd to more than 2,000 miles on October 4th. Then 600 miles to Arkansas on October 7th. 950 miles to New Mexico on October 16th. 1,000 miles to Nevada on October 27th. 
1,600 miles to Louisiana on October 29th. Another 2,100 miles two days later on October 31st. And 2,000 miles two days after that on November 2nd. In that month of October, in 1978, he would have driven a total of 11,000 miles all over the country. He would have had to drive constantly at 50 miles per hour with no sleep and no stops, which obviously is impossible. Vic Fazell, a district attorney, hired Truman Simmons to get on NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, to look into Lucas and found about 11 to 12 records and dates that put Lucas in different places than where the murders happened. And when they later tried to get back on, their access was denied. Meaning somebody, likely a law official, clearly didn't want others to know where Lucas was on certain dates. Linda Irwin, a, hom a homicide detective who had a very high crime-solving rate, got involved and had doubts. She made a fake murder case that Lucas ended up confessing to. The public got upset about that and claimed that he was being talked into all the other cases. When really she was testing him. Vic started to get threats from the law enforcement because he started to become too involved with Lucas and exposing Lucas for the pathological liar he is. They started to attack him by accusing him of many things he didn't do. They poisoned his dog, followed him, stalked him, and even searched his house. They also arrested him for the accusations that, were, that there was no evidence for. They wanted to intimidate him, and all of it started when Vic took Lucas away from the Texas Rangers. One famous case, known as Orange Socks, involved an un unidentified woman naked with only orange socks who was found in a culvert north of Georgetown on I-35 and was going to be Lucas's ticket to death row. Hugh said that he was the only person that Henry told that he didn't actually do any of the killings, including Orange Socks, which gets interesting. Hugh begins to get suspicious and starts to investigate on his own. He went to Jacksonville, Florida, where Lucas worked, and his community had doubts about him being a killer. He didn't seemed to be the kind of person who would kill at random infrequently. He had found some evidence that contradicted some of the confessed murders, which he took to Lucas's attorneys. His attorneys confronted Lucas, and he said that he was trying to commit legal suicide. A term that they have never heard before until then. He said that he felt remorse for killing Becky, a.k.a. Frida Lorraine Powell, who was Henry's girlfriend and noticed his knees. In April 1984, Lucas was sentenced to a death penalty. Lucas started to get scared and get regret, so he tried to pull him out of the massive mess he had got himself into. A body, a body that was found from one of the cases that Lucas had confessed to proved that Lucas did not commit that murder because she had drowned from having a seizure when driving, leading herself into a lake. He accused Bowell, which made him confess and provide all the information of that case. If someone is confessing something, you aren't supposed to lead them and help them confess. They are the ones confessing to it, so let them confess themselves. I agree. And something crazy that happened while all of this was going down was that Becky came back to life. She claimed to be the long-lost Becky, and coming forward like that could have gotten Lucas out of death row. It turned out that she was a fraud when writing letters between her and Lucas were found that included details about Becky's life. She then confessed that she fell in love with him. Henry says he had nothing to do with her coming forward and claiming to be Becky when they had those letters that proved him wrong. 
He got off death row from the Orange Sox case because there wasn't enough evidence against him, but was stuck with life in prison. He died in prison in Huntsville, Texas from natural causes, a heart attack, on March 12, 2001. Otis Toole died September 15, 1996 in Rainford, Florida from cirrhosis of the liver. I just don't get how you can say you killed at least 200 people and not leave any evidence for eight years. And knowing that you're letting another killer walk free and get away with murder. Although after Henry's death, DNA testing came out and a law enforcement was able to go back to all of these unsolved cases and find that Henry was not a part of most of them. Some they were unable to test for DNA. He was able to convince so many people that he murdered that many people. DNA is stored on CODIS, and officials caught the real murderers who were walking free for over 30 years. It just blows my mind that he was able to get the whole story and come up with every informational detail just from seeing crime scene photos. His imagination was twisted. All he had to do was create a story, and when he said something wrong to the officers and they would shift, he would just change the story till he got it right. Right, and there was nothing connecting Henry to all those crimes except his confessions. Out of all the 600 confessions, he was convicted of murdering 11. He thought he was doing a good thing confessing to all those cases, when he was really just hurting the families of the victims, wasting people's time, and letting the killers walk free. I think the biggest mysteries are what Henry actually did, how it all happened, and most importantly, how all the other killers stayed free. So Nora, what do you think of the confession killer? I think it's crazy how police and investigators treated Henry Lee Lucas as if he weren't actually a criminal, especially with how big of a criminal he truly was. Lucas got so much special treatment that not even criminals with less threatening sentences received. There are so many different stories and sides that it can get somewhat confusing, and this may be why we'll never really know what happened or who was actually killed. It just bothers me that he confessed to so many murders, yet only three were confirmed. Imagine how the victims' families feel and what kind of questions they have. Do you think that the police saw the opportunity of a vulnerable man that would confess to anything and use that to their advantage? Or do you think that Lucas was just a pathological liar and with the police's help, was able to continue for so long. In my opinion, it was a combination of both, so that they kind of worked as a team. We never really know what happened when the cameras weren't rolling. Here's another clip from an interview of Lucas confessing to accepting any and every unsolved crime. Because it seemed like every time they would bring a murder case in, I would accept it, no matter what it was. I would not doubt that the police took advantage of the situation, especially because of how close they were with Lucas. The police fed Lucas information that could have easily changed his thought process towards what he had or hadn't done. If the police truly pushed Lucas towards a certain side, I think that he could have just went along with it to get it over with and not be questioned anymore. And do you think you would believe if somebody had confessed to over 600 murders? Honestly, it's a hard decision. 600 is a large number, and at that point, how could you remember all of them? I think Henry killed a decent amount of people, but I'm not sure about all 600. If it is true, that's extremely upsetting, seeing as he got treated like royalty in jail, along with hardly any jail sentences. You're right, and I agree. But me being honest and as as gullible as I am, I think I'd fall for it, but have some doubt 
I mean, who wouldn't doubt that, though? Why do you think Lucas was able to get away with all his confessions for so long? There will always be people who doubt whatever he was saying, but maybe the fact that they trusted law enforcement, like you should, and maybe the ones who were related to the victims wanted closure or an end to all their questions. I agree. I think that because he was confessing to so many, like us, many had doubts that he was being completely honest and just brushed it off his shoulders a bit in order to avoid having to look deeper into all the information Lucas was giving them. Do you think Henry's childhood gives him kind of an excuse for what he did and how he confessed to all those murders? I personally think there's no excuse as to why you should lie, murder, or confuse anyone in the world. Yes, his childhood was rough and disgusting, but that gives no one the right to abuse and kill others. Although his childhood could have led him to be the person he was, it's no excuse to make his actions correct in any way, shape, or form. Maybe he felt as if he was helping law enforcement and the families grieving when he was actually making things worse and letting all those killers walk free, like we said earlier, for over 30 years. Some of those killers died without being caught or having any punishment, besides the guilt some may have carried. If you had to put yourself in their shoes, what do you think was going through their head when they saw the morning newspapers with Henry Lucas's name as the headline confessing to hundreds of unsolved murders? I wouldn't know what to do. I would be scared and concerned for not only myself, but my friends and other family around. The problem, too, that he wasn't just killing in one area. He would move to different states and commit murders there as well. So I would also be scared to travel anywhere. I wonder how people felt when Henry stated that it was all a lie. I would be frustrated and confused on whether or not I should trust him. You'd want to believe it was all a lie, so then obviously the murders were not real. But at the same time, some of the other things he had said had made Lucas sound like such a horrible and violent person. He shouldn't have been as trusted as he was, and his stories kept changing back and forth multiple times, making his information almost invalid. Also, Henry had his allies who helped him kill, which made the situation even scarier because they could be spying or helping him catch potential victims. People were probably very upset with Lucas and how he led on so many people to believe him. Some were probably feeling a bit of relief, but there was also a bit of fear of the other killers and where they were now. The police also lost a ton of credibility and trust from the public. There is a bit of instability with lack of trust from the law enforcement and wondering who's the person you're living with and sleeping next to. What do you think would happen if this all went down in today's world? I think a lot of people would panic. But at the same time, it's, a, it's in a different time period. In today's world, we have much better protection and DNA analysis devices that could help investigators and police find suspects quicker. So compared to the people who were living in that time, I don't think as many people would be as concerned and scared. In conclusion, police only confirmed three murders out of the 600 confessions. Some other murderers were found and convicted, but that still did not conclude the confessions. There also wasn't enough evidence at the crime scenes that could help confirm the murder cases. Henry Lee Lucas was one of the most well-known murderers of his time, and his confessions have helped police and investigators think twice before they officially close a case. That is all for this podcast. Thank you for listening. 
Would you believe someone if they had confessed to over 600 murders?